Welcome to God Pods, Faith Conversations from Boston College's Church in the 21st Century Center. Welcome to God Pods. I'm Elisa Taliano Yurenic, Associate Director for the Church in the 21st Century Center at Boston College. Ignatian spirituality offers us a vision that we can find God in all things. In these episodes, we're going to explore different spiritual and biblical themes which come up during Lent including the practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. In this first episode, we're going to look at how praying the rosary can add new life to your Lenten journey. Our guest today is Gretchen Crow. Gretchen is the editor-in-chief of our Sunday Visitor Newsweekly, which is the only weekly Catholic newspaper in the United States. In 2017, Gretchen wrote her first book, Why the Rosary, Why Now?, published by our Sunday Visitor. Her second book, available this October, is a devotional called Praying the Rosary with St. John Paul II. If anyone can speak to the power of praying the rosary this Lent, it's our guest today. Gretchen, welcome to God Pods. Thank you so much for having me. We're happy to have you here. So Gretchen, there are quite a few books written on the subject of the rosary. I did one quick Google search and had hundreds of results. I couldn't stop scrolling. Why did you want to write a book on the topic, and why was now the right time to bring the subject up again? Well, that's a great question, Elise. And I think, you know, I think we have to start by looking at the reality of today's world, especially for people of faith. I think that you and I both know that people of faith are facing a lot in today's world. You know, we've got growing secularism. We've got kind of the breakdown of family life. And of course, there's, there's always the geopolitical problems, the war, violence. Um, and, and on top of that, we have a sense of being distracted all, all the time because we all have these things called devices now, which um, are so um, omnipresent. And, uh, and those result in a loss of understanding of pro- proper relationship. Um, you know, but I think, so I think we're facing a lot of challenges but as people of faith, we also know that the answer to these challenges is a strong, permanent relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when you think about that being the goal, and you think, okay, how do I get there? You say, okay, we, we as Catholics are blessed to have Mary as our model, as the first disciple of Jesus Christ. And in that um, uh, modeling, Mary points us to her son, who she loves more than anything. You know, there are many ways to get to Jesus. We're blessed to have, as Catholics, frequent access to Jesus present in the Eucharist. But Mary, as the first disciple, as the one who loves her son the most, has this intimate connection with Jesus and the ability to lead us directly to him. And the rosary is that most powerful of powerful tools uh, that allows us to ponder the mysteries of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, through the eyes of Mary, and she helps us then grow closer to him through her. And so, you know, when we think about all of the challenges in our world today, and we, th- and we know that the solution to these challenges is a better relationship with Jesus Christ, then it only makes sense then to look to Mary who can guide us directly to Jesus. And that's what she does through the rosary. And, you know, we need the rosary right now because we, we need Jesus right now. You're right. It's a perennial need, um, and you describe that so so wonderfully. Um, 
I'm going to transition then to kind of follow up with that to say, you know, we need it right now in our contemporary society, um, but we also need it now during Lent. Um, Lent is a time in which we're encouraged to really take a good look at our relationship with God, with Jesus, as you say. Um, how how does praying to Mary specifically help us during Lent um, if we're supposed to focus on on her son? Sure. Well, I think praying to Jesus through Mary is an excellent way to spend your Lent. Um, you know, particularly through the rosary, uh, we can we can meditate during Lent on those sorrowful mysteries, um, those moments during the uh, during Christ's passion and death, where we can recognize and enter into the reality uh, of the depth of Christ's love for us and the sacrifice that He made for us. You know, just by going through those mysteries we can better understand through the eyes of Mary just what it is that Jesus did for us. And if that doesn't help us grow closer to Him during Lent, I really don't know what what will. That prepares us in a very real way for Holy Week, and it prepares us even more importantly for the Resurrection and for Easter, so that we know, we, we better understand the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, and we can better live our lives accordingly. And that's what it's all about. It's understanding the salvation that is available through Jesus, and then taking that understanding and modeling our lives and our actions on that. And so if we spend Lent kind of thinking about those moments of Christ's passion and death, those moments where Mary says, look at my son, look at my beloved son, look at what he has done for us, look at what he has done for you, that's incredibly, incredibly powerful. And, and during Lent, we have these 40 days where, you know, we can do that. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of time to pray the rosary. I, I know it can seem intimidating, but it takes 20 minutes a day. That's shorter than a, shorter than a sitcom. It's shorter than the news. It's shorter than most podcasts. All you need to do is just make time during your commute or make time at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day, wherever it fits better with your schedule and just connect with uh, with Jesus through Mary. And I think, you know, if we were to do that every day during Lent, by the time we arrive at Holy Week, after particularly meditating on those sorrowful mysteries, it will have a lot more meaning to our lives, and Easter will be a lot more fruitful for us. That's really encouraging look um, at this. Gretchen, you're a working mother. You mentioned some sort of pockets of the day where people might find time. Um, and you also make the claim in the book that it's not necessarily um, the way you do it. It's that consistency in praying the rosary is really essential. So a regular practice of it. Why is that so important? And how have you uh, found time to be um, to pray it consistently, especially with your vocational responsibilities and um, with your role as editor in chief um, at Our Sunday Visitor? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I'm very, very fortunate to, and I know not all of us are, but I'm very, very fortunate to work for a Catholic apostolate. So, um, you know, there's an opportunity for daily mass and for regular prayer. So that makes it, it does make it easier for me. Not to mention I have a, a kind of a 20 minute commute directly to work and back from work. So it's just the perfect amount of time there. Uh, and I realize not everybody has these kind of luxuries. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's important for us to remember that each of us can have the temptation of getting caught up in life and work and in our family. And, and you know, it's hard sometimes to commit to regular prayer. But I will also say that, I say this, I will say that, you know, 
there are times if I, if my prayer life drops off, if I am inconsistent in praying the rosary, I always notice there's always something that's off. There's a disharmony. There's a disunity. There are problems in relationships. There are problems in, um, you know, just a lack of peace or um, a grounding in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, so I think once you become kind of a consistent, regular prayer of the rosary, you see um, the benefits that it has in your interior life. And that's something that not only, um, you know, do you not let go, you don't want to let go of, because you can see the fruits are so visible um, in one's interior spirituality. And so we're all busy. I totally understand. Um, I have a, you know, I have a, a busy job. I have a, a family. I have a young child. And um, I think the more ways that we can find to incorporate um, family prayer, incorporate the rosary into our lives, um, kind of naturally, the better. So, you know, don't feel like you have to do it alone. Ask your spouse to pray the rosary with you. Um, if you're praying the rosary as a family, just and you don't have a whole lot of time, you can start just by praying a decade. Um, that's okay too. I think it's it's just about the consistency. It's about the the building of a relationship. Um, and once that relationship, kind of the seed begins to blossom from that relationship, it's something that you don't want to let go of, and so you will naturally just keep on uh, moving forward with. Well, that I'm I'm personally encouraged by that, and I can testify to the fact that you know when you get busy with work and other responsibilities, sometimes the first thing to go is your quiet time, um, your silence, your stillness, um, and of course your prayer and relationship with God. And so that's encouraging to know it's just a small pocket of time and is really um, bears great fruit. So um, thanks for sharing that with our listeners. I think it would be great to pivot to the actual content of the book. I found it really um, interesting, especially the fact, the way you laid it out. It's in part personal reflection and in part those reflections being in dialogue with other members of the church throughout kind of all of history um, who have, uh, or throughout our tradition, who have a relationship or experience or, with the rosary or something to say about it. So um, your book is made up of these commentaries and your reflections, um, and some of those people include uh, popes uh, who are now saints, like John the Twenty Third, um, John Paul II. You have Saint Therese, um, who talks about her devotion, and um, Father Patrick Payton, who coined the very famous maxim: "The family that prays together stays together." Uh, how did you go about selecting the commentators um, who you would sort of be in dialogue with? Sure. Well, uh, a lot of prayer, first of all. So I wanted to really kind of discern um, the chapters that I was going to, going to include. I think that that was really important because I didn't just want to be um, putting things in the book from anyone who had ever said anything about the rosary because we know that many people have over our great tradition of faith. So I wanted to try to identify um, the passages from certain individuals who uh, were deeply, either deeply affected up by the rosary in their lives, or who could really speak to the issues that, that we're facing today. So some of the things that we talked about at the beginning are struggles with secularism, our struggles with the breakdown of the family, um, for an increase in discipleship, etc. I, I really wanted to make this book as relevant as possible to, to today, so that um, if people were looking for compelling reason why to start pray, praying the rosary, uh, they would have one. They would have one in these arguments um, within the book. 
Uh, so when, when it came to choosing the text for this book, um, of course, <laughs> I was faced with not the challenge of how to fill the book up, you know, like, what do I put in this book? It was, of course, how to whittle it down and how to really discern what was, um, what was going to make the most impact for the reader. Um, so I wanted to find those compelling stories. I wanted to find those strong arguments to help make the case, really, that people should pray the rosary more frequently. Um, and so I think it ended up, uh, I, I'm hopeful that it ended up with a, with a good mix of individuals speaking from their own personal experience, but also speaking from, um, from a deep faith and spirituality and, and love of the rosary to kind of encourage uh, whoever picks up this book um, that it's it's the the fruits and the benefits of praying the, of praying the rosary far outweigh whatever challenges uh, may come with it. That's great. I found it really uh, moving to realize that by praying the rosary, I was connected to so many um, Catholics. You know, not only throughout history but also across the globe. You know, it's a global practice. Um, you can find. I know my father went on a pilgrimage to Fatima and Lourdes with my mother, and he was so struck by um, so many men uh, in these in these religious squares and city squares praying the rosary. He was so moved. So, like you said, um, there's so many people throughout the history of our faith who have uh, prayed the devotion and experience its fruits, but also all over the world. Um, is there anyone you would add uh, as an addendum um, now that you're now that you've written the book? Well, you know, I think um, I think with in our country, um, it would be kind of really interesting to have the experience of like one of our new blesseds here. So we have, you know, Blessed Father Stanley Roser out of Oklahoma. We have Blessed Solanus Casey. Solanus Casey was a, uh, a, a great devotee of the rosary. And, uh, you know, he would frequently pray it for the, all the many intentions that would come um, come to, to him through people f- from throughout the country and the world. Uh, so I, I, I think that would be a really interesting um, addition. I think Father Solanus would be great. I also think of um, Pope Francis, who talks um, sort of, unrelentingly about um, the Blessed Mother and his relationship with her. Um, And in fact, he's encouraged us throughout um, his papacy to pray um, the rosary for an for an end to war and suffering. I know he highlighted Syria. Um, You know, like you said, if you look at the geopolitical situation, um, you know, Mary has made promises in her apparitions that praying the rosary would would be beneficial, fruitful um, in enacting peace in our world. Um, What would you say to critics um, who would say, yeah, right. I mean, how could this prayer fix these massive problems? Um, You know, we're still encouraged to do that today. What, What might you say to them after writing this book? Sure. Well, I, I love how you bring up Mary at Fatima because I would say I would direct them right to that. I would say, look, you know, our Blessed Mother appeared to uh, to three shepherd children in Fatima in 1917, and she told them, she told us, pray the Rosary for peace in the world. Um, you know, we know that the problems of the world are born of the sin of our own, our, our own humanity. Um, so the choice, really, that means lies with us, right? We have the choice to listen to Mary, to listen to her son. You know, Mary's telling us, pray the rosary, develop a relationship with my son, love my son the way that I loved him. Or our, our choice is to continue to give into sin and to continue to tear one another apart in our very polarized world. And certainly we see that not only, at, you know, in our country and in our world, but in our church. You know, we have the choice. We have the tools, and the rosary is one of those most important tools to help us make the right choices that lead to peace 
and unity rather than the choices that lead to greater upheaval and greater polarization. Um, and the choice is ours and we just have to make it. So if people, if people are going to be skeptical about the rosary again, I would turn them directly to her and say, look, she was here. This is what she said. All we need to do is listen to her. That's great, Gretchen. Um, we'll go back to the book for a second. You have so many stories. I mean, so many people uh, credit the the rosary or the intercession of Mary through the rosary with miraculous healings or interventions. We know that she, um, you know, in our tradition, there have been apparitions where the rosary has been involved. Um, you share one story in the book about four Jesuit priests who credit praying the rosary with saving their life. And they mince no words about it. They have a direct link between praying the rosary, save their life. Um, Boston College is a Catholic and Jesuit university. Um, this story is really pertinent to for our listeners in our tradition. Could you tell the listeners a little bit more about that story and relatedly what impact reading that story had on your own faith life? Sure. Oh, this, this is just an incredible story about the power of praying the rosary. Um, it's recounted by a Jesuit priest, as you mentioned, Father Hubert Schiffer, um, who was praying the rosary with three other Jesuit priests when the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima on August 6, 1945. And the church where they were, and I have to add, it was dedicated to the Assumption of Our Lady. The church where they, where they were praying the rosary was only eight blocks from the epicenter where the atomic bomb was dropped. We were talking about um, an action that wiped out, you know, an entire city. And here are these four priests praying together eight blocks from the epicenter. And they spent the day, and he recounts it in this, in this writing that I include, include in the book, which is incredibly powerful. The priests spent the day surrounded by fire. They spent the day surrounded by smoke until a rescue team could get to them. Yet all four of them survived. And even more incredibly, all four of them, none of them suffered any long-term effects from radiation from the bomb. And, and I think what really, you know, you asked how, how what kind of impact it had on me. As I was reading this story, there's a line that that Father Schiffer wrote, and he said, prayer is more powerful than the atom bomb. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I just, I have to say, that sentence stopped me in my tracks the first time that I read it, and it continues. Every time I pick up the book and flip through it and see that sentence, I I again am stopped in my tracks. It's, It's incredible. Prayer is more powerful than the atom bomb. And I think you know, certainly that was literally the case in this in this miraculous event. But I think that's also a really, really important thing for us to remember in our daily lives. You know, when we have the option of of praying or perhaps doing something else um, or or growing in our prayer lives, um, always say yes because because prayer is one of the most powerful things out there, and the rosary is um, one of the most powerful tools that can lead us through prayer. Uh, to Jesus Christ. And I think, uh, I, I just think that's so true. And that's what this anecdote, um, uh, this miraculous story um, from Hiroshima really tells us. I think the recovery of that story and sort of the spreading of that story, and I, I feel like I'm fairly well read in uh, matters of the faith, but that was the first time I had heard it. But sharing that more widely would be so important, especially as we look at, you know, again, the current geopolitical situation, potential nuclear um, arms race uptick, you know, um, post 9-11 world, we're always on our edge, but that prayer is more powerful than that. Uh, the atom bomb, uh, literally, um, that that is really just 
a remarkable thing to to behold and kind of live by. Um, you know, it makes me think of a story, the book, um, you know, that was captured in Left to Tell, where Immaculate Ilibagiza was a young woman who survived the Rwandan genocide. She survived, I think it was three months, um, locked in a bathroom with several other women, and she credits praying the rosary all day, every day for those three months with, you know, the Lord sparing her life. Um, are you familiar with that story, too? I'm not. Uh, you know, there are so many of those stories. Uh, you you can go throughout history and identify moments where people have said, "I relied on the rosary, and um, and and this is what it this is how it benefited my life, or this is how it saved me." I mean, there's an, there's another story that I include in the book um, by Father Patrick Payton, who is the the known as the Rosary Priest, um, and he also, as you mentioned, kind of coined that phrase, "the family that prays together stays together," but you know, Father pa- uh, Father Peyton recounts his own miraculous recovery um, when he was in seminary. He was very, very ill. Uh, the doctors had done everything that they could for him. They thought that he was just going to be just going to die. Um, and he said, he said, "No, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray to the Blessed Mother, and she's gonna save me." And lo and behold, he prayed to the Blessed Mother, and she saved him. And and um, and he said, "Well." you saved me, so I'm spending the rest of my life dedicated to you. And that's why he's known as the, the rosary priest and spent the rest of his life traveling the world, promoting the graces of the, and, of, and the uh, fruits that come from the rosary. And, uh, and so these stories, like the one that you tell, the story of Father Peyton, the story of Father Schiffer and the other Jesuit priests, these are just uh, a tiny, tiny example of the many, many anecdotes and stories that people have to tell the power of the rosary. It's really, really incredible. That's great. Um, I love those stories. You know, one criticism, um, you know, I have several uh, friends and family members who are not Catholic, they're Christian, and you address one of the common criticisms, which is, you know, if you want to pray to God, why do you sort of ask the intercession of his mother? And you addressed, you know, as the the primary disciple um, and the mother of Jesus, no one knows him better. And we have a biblical tradition in which, you know, a mother um, in the Jewish tradition would advocate, you know, to the king, um, you know, the mother would be the queen. And so we, we... We know that with Mary. Um, But another common criticism is, you know, is this really a prayer born from the heart if you are sort of repeatedly saying phrases over and over again that that are sort of handed to you? Um, What might you say? I mean, in your book, you kind of explore that the repetition um, is really, really important in the practice and and can lead us kind of to a stillness or quietude where we enter into that. And we're also, you know, maybe you could talk about the value of that as a type of real personal prayer. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, I think that the repetition of the rosary, um, you know, we need stillness and we need quietness to be able to achieve us, to, to achieve it. But also the, the roteness of the rosary helps us to, um, helps us to just get to that silence, to get to that quiet. Um, you know, we're so distracted um, these days, as we've talked about. We're feeling more disconnected than ever. Um, you know, we, we struggle with the usual demands of life to make it hard to slow down. Um, you know, we, we don't even have downtime anymore. It doesn't exist. We spend it scrolling through t- some type of feed. <laughs> and I'm just as guilty as I think all of us. You know, we've got, uh, we've got supercomputers in our pockets and in our purses that, um, seem to attract us like magnets, unfortunately. And we don't allow ourselves to quiet down. Um, so the rosary, uh, can be a great, great tool 
to help us kind of break through that noise, to help us recover in our lives this stillness and this silence that we need. We really, really need not only to develop in a relationship with Mary and with Jesus Christ, we need quiet, we need stillness, but but we need it to function. Like we we need moments where we can reflect and self-reflect and self-assess and um, you know think about our priorities and um, and and remember you know intent be intentional about how we're spending our time. So I think that the rosary through its repetitive prayers, through the meditations on the mysteries, it kind of um, it, it kind of demands that we find a silence, that we make time for, uh, to put down our devices, to slow our minds and to concentrate on the Lord. And, and with that comes a great, great interior peace. And again, I think, you know, as I kind of said at the beginning, once we find it, once we get a taste of it, it's like, it's like those great conversion stories. You know, once you, once people get a taste of Jesus Christ and the power and the great power uh, that he can bring to our lives and the great change that he can affect. Um, it's really, really difficult to um, turn away from that. And I think the rosary is the same way. I think once we get a sense of the great fruits and the great benefits that come from uh, praying to Jesus through Mary, it's really hard to, to turn turn your back on that. You're right. It helps with stillness and silence. And it requires, um, like you said, us kind of creating an atmosphere maybe putting down our phones, stepping away um, in order to do that. Um, One practice that St. Ignatius offers us is like the engagement of the imagination in prayer. And so for me, um, the rosary is a way to kind of enter into the scenes of the Bible and the life of Christ to put yourself there. Um, And so the rosary can really help you in that way, kind of walk with Jesus, Um, especially like you said, with the sorrowful mysteries during Lent to be right there comforting him. Um, you know, he's, he's close to those who suffer, especially, um, Lent is a great time to meditate on that. So you're absolutely right about the need to, to create that space and its benefits, um, spiritually first and foremost, and also other ways. Yes, I, I absolutely. And I think I, I also just want to mention the approach of St. Louis de Montfort, who, um, uh, has, has really made a great difference in my life. He encourages, um, uh, a meditation on the fruits of each mystery while praying each decade of the rosary. So, you know, absolutely it's important to think about the mystery and reflect on the mystery as you pray. Of course, say the prayers, but by allowing us to reflect um, on, a, on a way to grow in virtue in our own lives, it kind of even makes the rosary more personal, if that makes sense. So say you're praying, um, you know, you're praying... Um, uh, the mystery, uh, the joyful mystery, the first joyful mystery of the Annunciation. Well, the spiritual fruit that relates to that is humility. So as you're kind of praying the mystery and reflecting on, on Mary's own humility at the moment where she said yes to something that she had absolutely no, um, no clue what she was really getting herself into, but trusted in the Lord and showed an incredible humility, you know, then we're able to just, as we pray that decade, Ask the Lord for the grace to um, be, you know, to develop greater humility in our own lives. And I think that's another wonderful way to pray the rosary, especially during a time like Lent, where, you know, we want to be growing in virtue. We want to be growing in holiness. And in, t- in doing so, um, we need to be able to ask the Lord for His assistance and also be able to have that time to self-reflect on the ways that 
that maybe we're not leading, you know, we're not living lives of humility or, or whatever virtue it may be, patience, what have you. Um, but this is, uh, by meditating on these mysteries and by incorporating spiritual, uh, uh, fruits into those mysteries, it really kind of helps us grow in our own spiritual and interior lives, uh, which I think is a great practice for Lent. Thanks for that reflection. I think you're absolutely right. I know our, our listeners um, will certainly take comfort in that, especially during this season. Just a few final questions for you. Um, you know, I often think about uh, associations my cousins or family members have, um, the rosary with kind of, you know, older ladies uh, after daily mass kind of squeezing in a devotion. And I've been that, you know, only young person after daily mass wondering, you know, am I okay? Are you seeing... Um, a renewed interest in young people in this devotion. You know, there's so many um, there's so many offerings. I think in sort of pop culture or sort of um, you know well intentioned ideas about you know sort of general meditation and slowing down. And I think these are all kind of you know they kind of get at what the Christian tradition offers, especially with the rosary. But are you seeing young people embrace it, or is it or is it uh, really for a more mature uh, older crowd? No, oh, I think I think young people um, are praying the rosary, and I think I, I would really credit that quite a bit to um, to our recent popes. I mean, I know Saint John Paul II had that. You know, he had the we had the year of the rosary back at the beginning of the twentieth twenty first century, um, and he had a tremendous love for the rosary and wrote quite a bit about it and spoke quite a bit about it all the way through Pope Benedict, and of course, as you mentioned, Pope Francis. Um, who has a deep love of the rosary, has a deep, deep devotion to the Blessed Mother. And when you have these examples of our, our, our Holy Fathers, um, it ma- makes it a lot more palatable for young people to want to pray the rosary more. Um, so I think that um, uh, you ha- we have seen a resurgence, resurgence in praying the rosary probably in the last 20 years or so. And these even include by Catholics who who maybe even once took it for granted, but have since rediscovered it. And I would put myself in that own category. You know, I'm a, I'm a cradle Catholic. Um, I always uh, loved Mary. I always loved the rosary. Um, but, you know, you, you also kind of take, you have the option of taking it for granted and just saying, well, the rosary is always there. Mary's always there. But you really have to be intentional about praying it, spending the time with her and, and with Jesus and um, making sure that you know the prayers, making sure that you, um, are committed to it, and so um, that's that's not always easy. So um, I I do think that um, that there there is a resurgence in it, but I think it can always be uh, be stronger. And I think you know we're also faced with uh, more people who are not religious these days, who are identify as nuns, um, uh, who who don't have that connection. So I think that the more that we can kind of help them realize the great benefits of the rosary, the more we can kind of draw them back into relationship with Jesus Christ. So, um, so yes and no. <laughs> yes, I, I do see a resurgence, but we also have a great, a great uh, hill to walk up, if that makes sense. Well, it seems like a good opportunity to me. Um, the last question I'll, I'll ask is about kind of ha- handing on the faith through the rosary. So at the, at the C21 Center here at Boston College, one of the pillars that we try to tackle 
um, is how to hand on the faith in today's culture. As you mentioned, you have an, we have an increase of nuns, um, those who are religiously unaffiliated, particularly of a millennial demographic. Um, and you, you cite some uh, studies by the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate from Georgetown University that were kind of bleak about the role of Catholic families. Um, yeah. For instance, 22% of Catholic families attend Mass on Sundays. Uh, 68% of Catholic parents don't have not enrolled their children in religious education. Um, but on a hopeful note, you say still that the, the family is, is still the primary place where children can receive the faith, where, you know, the family hands on the faith in a lot of ways. Um, what case would you make to young parents, you know, like yourself to start the practice of the rosary as a way to hand on, um, you know, the teachings of the faith, the relationship with Jesus? What case would you make for them to start now if they haven't done that with their children? Oh, I think that um, starting um, helping your children with a relationship with Mary and with the rosary I can't start too soon. Um, I wrote and compiled this book while I was pregnant with my first child. Um, the book was published on the day he was born, um, so I feel a very strong connection um, with very strong connection and understanding of the need to um, introduce my son throughout his short life into to the Blessed Mother. Um, and so um, we do that just by just praying the prayers, um, by making things available. Um, you know, we, he's got a plastic rosary. When he was a, a little, little, um, he had a, a teething rosary that he would just chew on. But, you know, it's, it's just becoming familiar. It's becoming, um, it's understanding that these are part of the normal routine of daily life. Um, you know, he's 20, he's, almost 21 months old and he has all, he knows all of the rosary prayers by heart. Um, and he, he carries around his little plastic rosary. I'm not saying he understands the whole picture, you know, but because my husband and I pray the Hail Mary, because we pray the prayers of the rosary with him, he has just, you know, they just, he's just gotten them, you know, he just, he just knows them. He can fill in all the gaps when we say the prayers. Uh, it's never, never too early to start. There is nothing more essential to strong family life than consistent, meaningful prayer together. That is the crust. And like you said, the parents are the first and the best teachers of the faith, and that starts in the home. And it starts with, you know, with consistency. It starts with regularity. It starts with um, um, an openness to prayer. It starts with having items around the house, statues and um, and tactile um, things like prayer cards um, that can help them connect with the faith. And, um, you know, there's nothing really more tactile than the rosary. And um, parents can best lead their children to a life of prayer by modeling it themselves. And so if we do our job as parents, uh, then our kids will kind of just naturally uh, realize that this is a regular and normal and expected part of daily life. And, uh, and I think we'll grow up with that. Um, that's my prayer anyway. <laughs> that's my prayer every day. I'm, I'm new to this, new to this parenting thing still, but, um, it's been incredible to see how, um, our example of prayer and, fa and family prayer, um, has really rubbed off on our son. 
Well, I'm sure once he's talking, uh, we'll be able to hear more about that. It's it's wonderful to hear. Um, you mentioned a teething rosary, a plastic rosary. Um, you know, there are rosaries made of precious metals, ones that smell like roses. But at the end of the day, I think you might agree with me that you really only need 10 fingers and a little bit of uh, space and time to be able to pray it. Um, Gretchen. That's all you need. Yeah, that's all you need. Um, Gretchen, where can people, um, our listeners, find your books? I know the second one won't be out for this Lent. They can probably uh, use it during Advent, but let us know. Let us know where we can find them. Sure. So, um, why the Rosary? Why now? Can be found on the website of our Sunday Visitor, and that can, that is osvcatholicbookstore.com. So that's osv, like our Sunday Visitor, catholicbookstore.com. It can also be found on. Amazon, um, you can get it there in print or it's available in ebook format. And it's also available as an audiobook on audible.com. Oh, wonderful. Is that, are you the one who recorded it? No, thankfully I'm not. Okay. Well, maybe for the next one, maybe we can have you on it. Gretchen, on behalf of the Church in the 21st Century Center here at Boston College, we wish you and your family a wonderful Lent uh, with Mary through the Rosary. Thank you so much, Elise. For more Catholic faith resources, follow us at bc.edu backslash c21 or via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs>